0: Amen. Good morning. So glad you're with us at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein, I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to see you this morning. Can you believe it's Christmas week? In some ways, it seems like it was we were just here. In other ways, it seems like it was 20 years ago. You know, it's been uh, interesting in that way. But it is Christmas week, so Merry Christmas! Thankful for our team who has led us in some beautiful worship. Uh, of Christmas. You know, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about worship. And uh, if we truly get to the the meaning of Christmas, it's about worshiping Jesus, uh, the promised Messiah, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. Uh, What a wonderful name it is. Amen. Well, uh, have you heard about this big event that's going to take place tomorrow night? You heard about this? Have you heard about the Christmas star? Have you heard this? So this is some event that's going to happen tomorrow night, I wanted to, it's kind of fascinating to me. I wanted us to talk a little bit about it and at least invite you to take part in it if you want to. NASA and other scientists are telling us it's going to be kind of a big deal. What's going to happen is uh, Jupiter, which is our largest planet, is going to have a, a conjunction, they call it, where uh, it passes sort of in front or behind, I'm not sure which, Uh, another planet or another star, whatever. That's what a conjunction is. And tomorrow night, it's going to cross with uh, uh, Saturn. These are the two largest planets in our solar system. They will be only 0.1 degree apart, which sounds kind of close to me. But really, they're still hundreds of millions of miles away. But when they cross sort of in front of one another, we're going to get to see uh, the bright light from both of these planets, and it's going to kind of be doubled in that way. It happens, actually quite a bit. It happens every 20 years, but not this close. Uh, in fact, the last time it was even close at all was 1623, and the last time it was this close was nearly 800 years ago. So it's kind of a big deal, you know, something that happens every 800 years. You might want to pay attention to kind of what's going on there. Uh, so here, I don't, I don't keep up with planets and stars and those kind of things probably maybe as much as I should have in school, but it turns out Saturn... It takes Saturn uh, 30 years to make a trip around the sun. And it takes Jupiter uh, 12 years to make a trip around the sun. So that's what's happening tomorrow night. They kind of converge in this conjunction. So if you're interested in seeing this, right after sundown, go look in the southwestern sky, and you'll see these two planets kind of converging on top of one another, and hopefully it'll be a beautiful thing. They call it the Christmas star, which is wonderful, right? I mean, here we are the week of Christmas and this event that's not happened in 800 years and they call it the Christmas Star. It's kind of a beautiful thing. I honestly don't think there's any real biblical significance of what's going to happen tomorrow night, but it's like a lot of other things at Christmas, you know, whether it be trees or time with family or presents that we give and receive, all of these things remind us of the real story of Christmas. We, we don't worship stars, we don't worship presents, and we don't worship all this, the time off. We're looking forward to it maybe, but uh, really what it's supposed to do is lead us to Jesus, not unlike the star that the wise men followed, right? That star led them to Jesus, and what did they do? They fell on their faces and worshiped, and we should do the same thing. So I, I was just thinking about this star, and I thought, man, I, it reminds me of something that's always intrigued me in the Bible. Uh, the story of the wise men, the story of this star is one of the greatest mysteries in all of scripture. Do you like mysteries? Do you like a good mystery? I I just, it's so intriguing to me. I started thinking about this and it's not unlike those Oceans movies. Remember those Oceans movies that came out with all the big, huge cast? Oceans 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Remember all those? A bunch of them. I'm not sure how many came out, but a bunch of them came out. And the thing about those movies is they had, uh, they had lots of clues. You know, they had a big cast. They had different characters, history, intrigue, deception. They might have even had murder. Miracles? No, they didn't have miracles. That's our story. But what's interesting is our story has all those other things as well. And it makes for an incredible drama. In fact, the title of our message this morning is Mystery and Majesty. The mystery that we still are not sure of about the star and and, and the wise men. Who are these guys? We don't know a whole lot about them in Scripture. And yet the majesty of this eternal being called the Word that we talked about last week. This eternal God who becomes flesh. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. The majesty of that moment uh, yet in a little manger. So, I want us to talk about that. If you have your Bibles with you, turn over to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to take a look at that story this morning. Verse 1 says Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship with him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him then opening their treasures they offered him gifts gold uh, frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own country by another way let's pray this morning can we father thank you for your word Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Lord, I pray that uh, today we would seek after you. That we would search for you, Lord, that our hearts would would be fully uh, aware um, and be fully engaged in seeking and finding you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to dig into your word today, to learn a little bit more about this mystery, about this Messiah, to learn a little bit more, God, about uh, what you want to show us, even in our own lives, in the mundane reality of day-to-day. Brokenness, questions, finances, difficulty, frustration, disappointment, and depression. God, in the middle of whatever's going on in our lives, may you be born in us, Lord. May we realize that your birth, your entrance, your dwelling among us, God, changed everything. Then, and now and for all eternity. So God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would lead us to all truth. That you would increase today, God. That you would shine as the light of the world that you are. And Lord, that I would decrease and that you would help us today to understand more about who you are. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. So who are these guys? It's just kind of weird. They kind of come out of nowhere, it seems like. In fact, in the Bible, we don't have a whole lot of uh, mention Of the wise men or some of your translations may say the magi truth is is that these guys are a uh, an ancient tribe Uh, and I'll talk more about that in a minute but there's some clues that are given to us in this scriptural context that we're looking at today number one it says they're from the east we don't know exactly where but somewhere in the east they believed that a king had been born based on something they saw in the sky right it's like okay that's interesting right there Something in the sky made them go, oh, the king has been born, right? Next, they believed that that king was born king of the Jews, and we're going to talk about maybe how they knew that. Uh, They determined it all by the stars, and yet they came not to just see him, but to worship him. Now, what's interesting is I got into this, I realized we got a lot of mistakes about this story going on in our culture and the history of the church. In fact, let me give your attention to one in our building. As we look over at the nativity scene, all beautiful and pretty. Uh, see the three wise men? One bowing down, two guys over here and one on the far side. One misconception is that the, the magi or the wise men were actually at the manger. They were not. So that's, that's wrong. <laughs> okay, It's nice and we have it a lot of it in our homes, but that's actually not what happened. The text tells us that the wise men showed up at a house. So by the time the wise men come... Uh, Jesus and Mary and Joseph are in a house in Bethlehem. I don't know if it's a rented place, I'm not sure, but, but they were in a house. Another thing that we see that, that is uh, wrong is by the time that they come to see Jesus, he's no longer a baby. We actually see the Greek word in the text for toddler. So he could be a year old, he could be six months old. I don't, we don't know exactly how old he is. But we do know that when Herod gives the decree later on in chapter 2 uh, to murder All the baby boys that are two years old and younger, there was a reason for that. Remember when he pulls the wise men aside and says, he says, uh, hey, when exactly did the star rise? He's trying to ascertain, it says in our text, when the baby was born. So he doesn't want to miss Jesus and he wants to kill him. So all the boys, two years old and younger, were murdered. And and of course, that was even a fulfillment of prophecy, we're we're told in chapter 2. It was an awful, awful thing. Uh, but Jesus was older when they finally arrived. The last thing that we get wrong, and we even got a song about it, you know, We Three Kings of Orient Are, heard that song? We don't know that there were three, and we know for, for the most part they weren't kings. So there's two, two mistakes there, right? We get the number three from the gifts that were given. What was given? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. Three gifts, maybe that must have been three people, no, we're not, we're not told that it was three people. In fact, John MacArthur uh, says there would have been thousands of people in an entourage. That changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? It changes our understanding. It changes the mindset of what's going on just a little bit. So it's, it's very interesting. In fact, there was a, if you understand the geopolitical situation that was happening between Babylon, which is probably where these guys came from, and Rome... There were at least three battles that happened between the two in the 70 years leading up to Jesus' birth. And most of those battles happened in Israel. So can you imagine what the uh, Jewish people, the Israelites were thinking, the Israelis were thinking when the Persians come in with thousands of people, some military, some leaders. The uh, Magi were seen as uh, spiritual leaders but also political leaders. They were almost kind of like the Senate. And sort of uh, the uh, Supreme Court, in, sort of in the same thing. They were very, very influential in that culture, very important. They would have been protected. They would have had servants and cooks and, 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 and military around them. And when they came into town, it would have made quite a, a, a ruckus. In fact, our text tells us that, that when Herod hears from the wise men that, that uh, they've come to see the king of the Jews... He goes, what? Wait, because that's his title. Herod's title was king of the Jews. So when he hears that there's another king of the Jews that's been born, he goes, let me know where that guy's at. I'd like to know him and worship him, right? Or kill him is what his intent was. But it also says right after that, and all of Jerusalem was troubled. I just don't think three guys coming through town would trouble all of Jerusalem, do you? But maybe a huge entourage uh, that had been in history meaning there was going to be a massive battle, maybe that would have gotten the attention of all of the city. So we got a lot of things wrong about the story, but what are some things that we can dig into and learn a little bit more about today? Let's, let's take the clues that we've got. Number one, we see that they are from the east. Like I said, we're not sure where. Most likely Babylon. We do have some information about Magi and Babylon. So probably from there. Their reputation, at least early on, was good of the Magi. Uh, one uh, historian, Herodotus, said that uh, they were honorable and virtuous sages. So these are, good, these are good men, at least in the early days. Later on, they didn't have that same sort of reputation. But in the early days, they were honorable and virtuous sages. They were sort of a type of aristocracy. They were experts. They were intellectuals. They knew a lot about math and engineering. Uh, they knew a lot about a lot of things, but their focus was uh, the stars. They focused on the stars. They believed sort of a cosmic force uh, in the world had to do with, with what was being played out in the stars. But Their science, however, had sort of a theological tone to it. They believed that there was a God. In fact, what's interesting about the Magi is their beliefs were very similar, almost parallel to that of the Jewish people. They were monotheistic. They believed in one God. They, were, uh, they had a sacrificial system, just like the Jews. They believed in a hereditary priestly system like the Jews. I believe there's a reason for this parallelism in their faith and in that of the, the Jews. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, I think it has to do with the guy by the name of Daniel. You remember Daniel? Remember that guy? didn't get eaten up by the lions. Remember that from Sunday school, for those of you that went to Sunday school? So Daniel didn't, wasn't, he was going to pray to God when he felt he needed to pray to God and, and he wasn't going to bow to the king of, of Babylon. He was, he was taken captive in the second group of Israel, uh, Israelites, taken uh, captive to Babylon from the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, he was, he was an amazing guy, da- Daniel. So he, he's not eaten up by the lions. At some point, Uh, The king dreams a dream, and he calls all of his magi, all of his wise men, if you will, all of his governors, this group of people called the satraps, he calls them all to himself and says, here's my dream, help me understand what it means. And they all kind of go, I don't know, I'm not not sure, we don't know. So then they ask Daniel, Daniel sure enough comes and interprets uh, the king's dream. And in doing so, we see in Daniel chapter two that Daniel is promoted to chief over all these leaders. So here's Daniel from Israel uh, who believes in, in God, the one true God, who, who has the Hebrew Bible, who is gonna train and teach uh, God, God's ways to the people that he's in charge of, right? He's obviously a leader, he's an incredible influence. Uh, and what's interesting is, the captivity in Babylon lasted about 70 years. So after these folks are taken to Babylon, um, after about 70 years, over 40,000 of them go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the wall, rebuild the, uh, uh, the area and the city, and, and they're gonna inhabit that place again. But Daniel doesn't go back to Jerusalem. Daniel stays in Babylon. He's leading this group of magi, wise men, governors, leaders. And the theory in essence is, because we don't have a lot of information on this, but the theory is that perhaps Daniel discipled these leaders. Perhaps he told them about prophecies in the Hebrew Bible. Perhaps he, he told them uh, about this Hebrew God and then they began to take on this type of faith with a sacrificial system and hereditary priest and a monotheistic God. So there's a very good chance that maybe Daniel had such influence in this culture that This at least this tribe of people, the Magi, believed in God. Something happens very interesting in uh, chapter nine of Daniel. This is a wonderful study too if you go back and look at it. In chapter nine of Daniel, he's praying, uh, which is also what we're going to see in Zechariah's life when when an angel comes to him. He's also praying. Um, But Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, comes to Daniel in chapter nine uh, of Daniel. And he explains to Daniel that there's going to be an everlasting king. It's going to be phenomenal. And he lays out sort of a math problem for Daniel. And he he tells him this problem about these 70 weeks. And he, he explains all this time. And it's not that difficult of math. But these guys, remember, they were intellectuals and they were really good at math. Gabriel sort of lays out this math problem and says, it's going to take this long before this everlasting king comes to earth, basically. And so it's a prophecy of Gabriel to Daniel, and Gabriel basically says this is going to be his, his life, and this is also going to be his death. Gabriel says he'll be cut off. So it's a very fascinating prophecy of Jesus. So the interesting uh, kind of thought or, or uh, idea here is that Daniel trains these guys to be watching and waiting for Messiah. How long was it? It was almost 500 years that this tribe had to to seek and search, look in the sky. Because, again, they believed that when God did something, he would tell it in the sky. There are other reasons they were looking in the sky, but this is an incredible thing. And, by the way, Daniel, sort of understanding the prophecy, could have explained to the Magi this time frame. So it wasn't like for 500 years the Magi's going, looking there, is it tonight? No, there's a time frame, Right? So there's a time frame that in these, within these 50 years, let's, let's be aware, let's be looking, let's be watching, let's be waiting and see what's going to happen. And so that's sort of the idea. Um, I think that's exactly what happened. And whatever they saw in the sky, it led them potentially to believe that the king had been born. That's the second clue that we've been given is that they see somehow that something in the sky shows them a king had been born. There is a... Uh, it's not a movie, it's not a documentary, it's just sort of a teaching um, called The Star. And you can find it on YouTube, it's free, you can watch it on YouTube. It's an hour and five minutes and it is a fascinating uh, film to watch. If you have some time this week, I encourage you to watch it. Here's the premise of the story of The Star. This man uh, wanted to start studying what The Star meant. What was The Star about? And he started studying godly man and uh, he discovered that in the 1600s, there was a scientist mathematician that came up with the, this theory and this mathematical equation of how the stars move around the earth. In fact, he said there's a way that we can determine that this is like clockwork. This is almost like God's clock, like, uh, like Saturn going around the earth uh, once every 30 years or, or, or the other Jupiter once every 12, or Earth every year, whatever the case may be. But you can count on it like clockwork. It's going to happen every single year just like we see it every single year. And as he figured that out, by the way, NASA still uses that theory today. But as he figures that out, they realize that, that, especially with the computers that we have and the software that we have, they can fast forward and see what the night sky will look like at any date. Well, when they realized that, they went, wait a minute, we can also go in reverse and we can move this program back and see where the stars are and what's happening in the night sky throughout history. So this man being a believer and trying to discover what was, what was the Bethlehem star? What, what was this star that, that led the wise men to Jesus? Can we see it playing out in this software? So it's just very interesting. It's fascinating to me. So what he did, he, he puts in all the information, goes back. Of course, we don't have exact dates. And the way they even told time uh, in antiquity was different than how we tell time today. So there's some adjustments and trying to find dates and things like that. But, uh, based on the historical, uh, evidences we have in scripture, and we have actually quite a few of them that, that date when Jesus was born, when Jesus was killed, uh, we can kind of get a sense of when these dates are. So he sort of puts this information in his software and he begins to see things happen in the software that are really fascinating. On the night that he believes potentially, right, it's all just theory, but in the night that he believes potentially Jesus was conceived, where the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary, this is what he says he thinks maybe happened. At some point in, in, uh, in his program, according to, to what he thinks is a historical account, based on this theory, Jupiter, which is, by the way, the largest planet in, in the universe, it's called the king's planet, had a conjunction with... Uh, a star by the name of Regulus, which means regal. So, what's interesting is the Babylonians call that star the king's star, and the Romans call that star the king's star. So, here we have the king's planet crossing in a conjunction with the king's star. And of course, it caused a bright conjunction, like what we will see similar uh, tomorrow night. He believes that's what happened when, when the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. He says, after that happened, fascinatingly enough, He's just watching the computer program and what's happening in that night sky. And after that conjunction, he says he sees uh, something else play out. He says he sees the constellation of uh, Leo come up. He says, well, obviously Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Maybe that has something to do with that. And right after Leo, Virgo comes up. And Virgo means the virgin. again, this is all just like, isn't this interesting? Kind of just scratching his head sort of a thing. He goes, well, what would happen if I fast forward nine months? To maybe when Jesus was born. Is there an event in the night sky that happened that maybe I could see? So he does that. He finds out that that on a night nine months later, Jupiter, the largest planet, the king's planet, has a conjunction with Venus, which is the brightest planet in our solar system. And it causes the he says, what, What would have been the brightest star ever seen by human eye? Isn't that interesting? So whatever the wise men saw, right, whether this is right or not, I don't know, but whatever they saw got their attention and they thought that a king had been born. Now, how did they know it was a king of the Jews? Well, if they would have had the Hebrew Bible, they would have had uh, Balaam's oracles, which comes from Numbers. Anybody remember Balaam, remember that character? All right, let me ask this. Anybody remember the talking donkey? Oh, you remember that. So let me tell you a little background on this. So God's trying to get Balaam's attention, and Balaam won't pay attention to God. And he has a donkey, and he's driving his donkey down the road, and, and finally God you know, moves the donkey off into a ditch. And Balaam gets so frustrated with this donkey, he's just whooping this donkey, beating this donkey to death. And then the donkey turns around and talks to him in a human voice. Would that get your attention, right? Uh, and he speaks to Balaam, and God speaks through this donkey what he wanted to tell Balaam. So most of us remember that about Balaam's story, but a little bit after that, Balaam is on his way to meet the king of Midian, I think. Um, and he basically says, well, what I want you to do is curse the people of Israel. We see all these Israelites coming into our land, and we, I want you to curse them. He was sort of a, a shaman, a spiritual guide, if you will. And, but Balaam tries to, to curse them, and he can't curse them. He can only bless them. And so, three times he tries to curse them, and he never can curse them. He blesses them every time. And we have this story in Numbers. But on the third time, look what he says. It becomes a prophecy of Jesus. Numbers 24, 17. Balaam says, He's speaking of Jesus. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Who holds a scepter, typically? right? A king. And there's interesting language. A star shall come out of Jacob. So here are the magi. They're, they're looking in the night sky. They're waiting for something phenomenal to happen. The brightest, potentially, the brightest star they've ever seen shines. And then when they come to Herod and to uh, the leaders of the Jewish faith, they realize, they say, where's the king of the Jews? So it's potential. They knew all this because of Daniel's influence in their life. So they see his star rise. They make their way to Jerusalem. Do you know how far it is from uh, Babylon to Jerusalem? 800 miles. It's a long way on a camel. I had the privilege of riding on a horseback about 35 miles in one day. Let me just say, I don't want to ride 36, right? 800 miles would have been uh, difficult uh, on a camel. If they did it, they could have done about 20 miles a day on a camel. Um, That would have taken them 40 days. Just incredible commitment to search, to seek, to find this king of the Jews that that we see. It's, It's almost as if they believed they were looking for Messiah, isn't it? This is not just any ordinary king that you would do something like this, surely. But maybe they believed this truly was the Messiah of the Bible, of the Old Testament. Here's something that I think is very interesting in our study this morning. They were willing to travel 800 miles to experience, to worship, they said, the king of the Jews. However, the leaders of the Jewish faith, the priests, the scribes, they weren't willing to travel six miles. That's how far it is from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, five to six miles. Look with me at verse three, our text. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all. All the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. We, we know where that's at. right? We don't even have to look. That's, that's a common knowledge thing. It comes from the prophet Micah. And, and Micah says in verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who, who will uh, shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him to me, or bring me word that I too may come and worship him. I just think this is so interesting that the Jews actually knew where Messiah would be born. It's not that far, five to six miles away. A few hours if you're walking. And yet they have this group of people who says, the king of the Jews has been born. And don't you think even one of them might go, well, even if there's a chance, I think I'm gonna follow these guys. Even if there's a chance, I mean, we we have this prophecy and we know it's Bethlehem and this is odd, these guys are coming, to let's just go find out with them. Not not even one. So the Magi are willing to come 800 miles and the Jewish leaders aren't willing to go six. Of course, we also know Herod didn't wanna worship Jesus He was a deceiver. He wanted to kill him. Like I said, a little bit later in Matthew, that story is told, and it's even a fulfillment of an awful prophecy. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, the wise men, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Can I just make a little side note right here? It doesn't say they fell down and worshiped them. You notice that? They didn't fall down and worship Mary and Jesus, they fell down and worshiped Jesus. Mary. Was not different than us. She was a sinner saved by God's grace. She even says in her Magnificat in, in, in that beautiful prayer, I rejoice in my Savior, my God. So just, just take that for what it's worth. We don't worship Mary, uh, she's just like us in need of a Savior. We worship Jesus and Him alone. So they fell down and they worshiped Him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts. Uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So what's interesting is they had seen this start, had led them to Jerusalem. So they're really close. They're only six miles away from their uh, intended search to find Messiah, find Jesus, this king born of the Jews. And they go in, they meet with Herod, well, whenever he sends them on to, to Bethlehem, it's almost like the, the star kind of shows back up or something. I don't know. But they see the star. Maybe it was during the day, and now it's in the evening, and they're seeing the star or whatever this thing was. What's interesting, though, is the Bible says that the star uh, comes to, to rest or stop over the house in Bethlehem. So the guy who does the star, he says, you know, that's kind of hard for a star to stop. It doesn't really do that very much. He, kept, he said, I kept researching that. And he explained it kind of like when you're in your car and you're going down the freeway and and you're going faster than the car behind you, the car next to you, the car seems like it's going in reverse. It's not going in reverse. It's just going slower than you are. He says that's what happens in the universe. Earth goes at a faster rate of speed than than Jupiter. And so he said that what happens, scientists call this retrograde. It's when a planet almost looks like it's backing up. It can even look like it's making a circle. It can look like it's stopped. And his theory, of course, is that that's what happened when the wise men saw the star stopping over the house. Now, I want to make something real clear here, in case I haven't yet. Uh, we're not worshiping the stars. We're not talking about the stars and constellations as if it's something that changes our lives and, and we worship or we look to. This is just an interesting theory that we're looking at. I don't know what the star was. I don't know if these models were right or completely wrong or made up. I have no idea. I don't know if it was an angel we have in the story of the shepherds that the angel showed up and it says, the glory of the Lord shone about them, right, around them. The Shekinah glory of God. So maybe this was an angel that, was, that looked like a star to them. I don't know. I have no idea. That's what makes it a mystery. But as I've been considering all that this story kind of holds, it's so wonderful and, and, and interesting to me. I just started thinking about um, the power that we can get from remembering this moment and this star, the searching of the star. In fact, if you tomorrow night decide, hey, our family wants to go out and see the Christmas star. I just thought it was interesting. It was happening tomorrow night. But if you go outside tomorrow and you take a look at this Christmas star, there's a good chance that you will do a few things. And this is what I wanna close with. The first thing you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to lift up your head to see the star, to look in the sky and listen, At Christmas time, a lot of us are not in a great place. In fact, there may be people that are online watching and not here or not watching at all just because Christmas is so hard to deal with. It could have been a loss of a loved one. It could have been loss of a job. It could just be depression or whatever the case may be. Let me tell you what depression is. Depression is getting lost in yourself. They call it navel gazing, right? My head is down. I can't see anything but my own navel. But when you look up to the star, when you look up and lift your head out of wherever you've been, God does something, he changes your perspective. This is the way he puts it in Psalm 121. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord maker, or who made heaven and earth. Some of you in this Christmas season may need to look up out of the circumstance out of the disappointment, out of the brokenness, out of the depression of what you're dealing with, and look up. You might need to change your countenance. You might need to change uh, what, your, what your face shows or what your heart believes because our help comes from the Lord. And we look up for that help. Later in that Psalm, it says he never sleeps, he never slumbers, he is always there for us. Here's another thing that when we look at the stars, when we look to the Lord, we look in the sky, that, that happens it changes our perspective, right? It changes what we see. We begin to see that we're small, we're tiny, and that we're part of something so much bigger than us. I love this little video from the Hubble telescope in NASA, I wanna show it to you. What they did is this, is, this is actual footage and a video from the Hubble telescope looking at this little, it looks like a star, but it's not, as we get in closer, it's the Andromeda Galaxy. And as we get closer and closer to that galaxy, we'll see millions upon millions upon billions more stars within that one galaxy. And if we had the eye or the ability of technology to go further into that galaxy, we could find another galaxy, and in it, billions upon billions of stars. When we look up and we say, Lord, I need to, to not think on things of this world, but think of you, it changes our perspective It helps us realize we're a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And that's exactly what God wants us to do. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, if then you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you know Jesus as your Savior, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are of this earth. How often does depression come from considering all the things of this earth, right? Does our frustration, does our navel-gazing, does our inward focus come from all the things around us, questions and doubts and fears and finances and difficulty and relational struggle? Let's set our minds on eternal things, not the things that we can see around us. Look at this. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Can I tell you, my friends, there is a God at work in your story, in your heart, in your soul. And you can't imagine how good he is and how much he loves you. You can't dream of how good. You can't think of how good. You'll never know. That right now in your heart, he's working for for his glory and for your good. He's he's at work right now. Here's another thing that happens when we look into the sky in the hope. We see that these stars give light, right? They light up the sky. They give light to the darkness. I'll, I'll never forget, me and Lori went to a a cavern somewhere, I can't remember if it was like Rock City or Blanchard, I can't remember which little country cavern it was, but we go into this cavern, and we had a tour guide, and bless her heart, she was tired of being a tour guide, and she let it show, and we get to the main part of the cavern, I'll never forget this, it was hilarious, and she says, okay, everybody turn your, turn your flashlights off and whatever, you know, and it's pitch black, you can't see your hand in front of your face, it's kind of creepy, all of a sudden her flashlight goes on her face, and she, she does this verbatim, Wow, look at the light dispersing the darkness, right? And it was funny in the moment because it was, she was trying to be obviously super dry. Uh, it was hilarious, but the thing is, what she was saying was true. Her one little tiny flashlight lit up the entire cavern. That's what stars do in the night. They, they, they give us light. That's what they tell us, it even tells us in Genesis. They're a lesser light, but they, they give us light. And we're reminded that the love of Jesus and the power of Jesus Wants to light up the darkness. Can I remind you of the prophecy of Jesus? Isaiah 9-2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That same exact prophecy is used in Matthew 4. When Jesus is just beginning his ministry, that is used. And right after that it says, And Jesus began to preach repentance. Right? The light was Jesus he was the light that had been shown to the world and he was calling people to his kingdom and to his way first Peter 2 9 Peter writes to the church but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light You know what I find fascinating about the story When, when the wise men come to Herod and the Jewish leaders? 800 miles they've come. And the Jewish leaders won't go six miles, right? It's just fascinating to me. I just want to ask this question. How many of us are living in darkness? How many of us are not willing to bring all of our lives to the light of Jesus? Almost like we don't believe. Right, Almost like it's the grace of God is closer than we could ever imagine, but we don't care. Those Jewish leaders didn't care. Yeah, they, they knew stuff. See, you can know the Bible, you can know prophecy, you can be really brilliant and not know Jesus. You can know about Jesus and not know Jesus. You can have a head knowledge of Jesus and not have a heart knowledge of Jesus. Friends, God is calling us from the darkness into his marvelous light. And too many of us keep making excuses and sneaking back into the dark. Here's another thing that stars can help us with when we look in the sky. They give us direction. They did for the wise men, right? They led them from Babylon to Jerusalem on to Bethlehem. These wise men followed that direction, followed that star. The question I have for us this morning is what is directing our life? What's directing our lives? What are you following? What are you intentionally saying? Today, this is my direction. This month, this is what I'm going after. This is what my heart seeks. This is what I want. Because Jesus made it real clear in Luke when he said, if you want to be my disciple, right, you've got to lay down your life. You've got to pick up your cross. You've got to deny yourself daily and what? Follow me. It's not easy to deny ourselves. It's really hard. That's why we have a group of people called the church around us going, how are you doing laying down your life? How are you doing following Jesus? How are you doing living in the light? But can I tell you, let's not call ourselves disciples if we're not. If we're not daily following him, if we're not seeking him, if we're not seeking after Jesus to know him and follow him, we're not a disciple of his. I, I, I'm encouraged by this text of scripture written from Jeremiah. He's writing to uh, uh, the people in captivity here in, in this letter, Jeremiah 29, verse 13 and 14, where he says, this is beautiful. This is at the end, towards the end of their captivity. Look what he says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with, your, with all your heart. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. And he says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I'll bring you back from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Some of you have been in a place that has been far from God. Maybe it's a disciplinary place God has uh, had you in. Maybe it's a place where your heart has just been far, but isn't this beautiful? This promise isn't just for the, for the Jewish people in captivity. It's for you this morning. Do you seek and search for the Lord with all of your heart? Because the promise is, if we do, we find him. We can find him. We can know him. And even as those wise men sought to see him, to worship him, we can as well. I, I was watching a message in... Uh, from John Maxwell he's a wonderful communicator former pastor and he, he does a lot of ministry in the business world but he was talking about 2020 and he was talking about what a disappointment and difficult season this has been I'm sure you would agree with that he talked about the fact that the wise men and if MacArthur's right if this, you can imagine a thousand people in an entourage they might have been a little disappointed when they came to a little tiny meager house with Mary Joseph and Jesus <laughs> they might have been like this is it. This is the king, right? But what's interesting is, as Maxwell said, he said, you know, what we see is that they didn't focus on the circumstances they found. They focused on the Savior. And as soon as they get there, they fall on their faces to worship him. That seems like a little bit more than dignitaries. They fall on their faces to worship him. He says that you know sometimes when we're disappointed, and many of us have been disappointed in 2020 and all the junk that's happened with 2020, sometimes in our disappointment, we're tempted to not give our best. He said the wise men, they gave their best. They fell on their faces before the Lord, focused on the Savior, and even if they were disappointed in uh, the lackluster house or <laughs> moment, they still gave their best. And then he said that wise men have to be flexible enough to change their plans. You remember the story? At the end of our text here, it says that uh, the Lord told them in a dream they needed to go home in another direction, and they did. Many of us have had to shift, (laughs) be flexible, Uh, change the way we do church, the way we do life, the way we do business. Everything has been about um, changing. But it's not been easy, it's been disappointing. He reminded the people in his message, he said, you know, there's some people that were also disappointed I want to remind you of. And he talked about Joseph, who really lived a lot of years of disappointment and devastation until he was before his brothers and he said, what the enemy (laughs) meant for evil, God used for good. Joseph had every reason to feel disappointed. He said, what about uh, Job? Because in the middle of all of his loss of family and property and, and everything, he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He talked about David in a cave being hunted uh, by the very man that he had served and loved. And yet in that cave, in the middle of being hunted, he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Talked about Paul in prison and said that in prison, Paul could even write, Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. It's perspective. It's perspective. This year has been difficult, it's been disappointing, it's been a struggle. But God can use disappointments for his good if we have the right perspective. Here's the last thing I wanna say to you about a star. I was thinking about stars and I thought, according to this story, maybe when we look at that star tomorrow night, we might think about waiting. I mean, the, the, the Magi had waited for 500 years for this event to take place. I think about Advent. We've been doing this Advent Candles and we've been talking about Advent. Advent is about waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. I think about the Old Testament closing in Malachi and opening in, in Matthew and 400 years of silence, of waiting to hear from God. And then I think about this past year. and We've done a lot of waiting. And we're still waiting for it to get back to normal, for it to be something that feels more what we're used to i don't know but i'm just reminded in god's word that waiting can be a good thing and weakness can be a good thing because it's in our weakness that christ has made strong and his strength is seen in that weakness can i encourage you with this last verse before we close isaiah 40 28 through 31 says have you not known have you not heard The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Listen to this, weary people. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait. For the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up With wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Friends, even in the waiting, even in the disappointment, even in the devastation of a year like this, God can be bigger to us than he's ever been before if we have the right perspective. If we seek for him, if we search for him with all of our hearts, he will be found. I believe that. So listen, tomorrow night, Around sundown, if you go out and take a look at the star, I hope that you're reminded of some things. Reminded that that could be the exact same planet that the wise men watched and followed. And I hope that reminds you that we serve the same God yesterday, today, and forever, right? Creator God that placed all those stars where they are and named them, everyone. I hope that you'll be reminded to lift up your head from the circumstances that hold you down, that that break your heart. I hope that you'll be reminded that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. My prayer and my hope is that you'll see that even as those stars light the darkness, that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants his gospel, his grace to light up the darkness around you, in your family, in your work, in everything that you do. But most of all, I hope that whether it be that star or your time with family or those gifts, I pray that they remind you to be led to Jesus and that we would do what the wise men did, that we would fall on our faces and we would worship this holy king and realize that even in waiting in disappointments in difficulty, he gives strength. He gives help. All we need He can give to us by His grace. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the beautiful mystery that is the Magi and uh, the star. And We don't know about all that, Lord, but we know that you created all those stars. We don't worship stars. We don't look to stars for any sort of life uh, help, God, that's not of you. We look to you and you alone but you are creator of those stars and you could write out the entire story in the stars if you so choose. God, I pray that today as we take a look at this story, we're reminded that you are our hope when life feels hopeless. God, I hope that you will remind us that you are our peace because you are the prince of peace Lord I pray that you will remind us that you are called in scripture the morning star and that we can look up to you and we can seek you and God if we seek with all of our hearts we can find you and know you Lord I pray that you would draw us as your church as your people out of the darkness into your marvelous light. Help us have minds set on things above, God. Not on temporary things that surround us, not on our finances, not on our relational difficulties, Lord, even if it's different times of the day that we just stop and we let go of those questions and that pain and that bitterness and that unforgiveness, Lord, that you'd help us draw us to things above, the things that are of you, Lord, eternal things. And as we spend time focused on you, God, that you would change us to who you want us to be. Lord, thank you that in moments of waiting, it can be some of the most difficult moments and it feels like you are silent, it feels like you are missing in action, but you're not, you're there, you're present and you're waiting to show us something we've never seen before. So God, my prayer is if there's one person in our family here today or online or maybe somebody visiting, watching, I don't know and they've been in a waiting, painful disappointed, depressed situation, God, that you would help them to raise their heads and to see you and to be reminded that you see their circumstance that you love them and that you are all that they need to rest and hope in you, even in the middle of the waiting God, we love you thank you for this beautiful story and this beautiful season of love of worship. God, it's my heart and prayer that we truly would above singing even God that our hearts would fall before you that we would worship you now as we sing of your glory and your grace and your goodness to us in Jesus.